0: All right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. Uh, tonight we are reviewing the film Wind Talkers. My name is John.
1: I'm Jack. And I'm uh, t- <laughs> as I was we gonna go. say,
0: we, we, have a, we have a special guest tonight. Um, Carl, would you like to uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself?
2: Yeah. Hi everyone, I'm Carl. Uh, I am here today as the token Indian uh, and I guess we'll get into wind talkers. I'm uh, Lakota O'oheinupa Lakota Sioux from Eagle Butte, South Dakota, on the Shine River Indian Reservation.
0: Well, it's very <laughs> nice to uh, have you with us. I feel like uh, Jack usually tries to to take claim to being the token Native. Guy, uh, okay, but...
2: I, I wasn't hundred percent sure. Jack, are you from Shine River too? That's yeah, same tribe. Yeah. yeah. But you didn't grow up here, right?
1: I grew up across the river. Do you know, Todd?
2: Yeah, I don't know. How do we know each other again? Yeah, uh, Ambassadors okay. of Excellence. Okay, that's what it was. And then were you at the School of Mines camp too? No. No, no I wasn't smart I enough. Thought. That was the explosives camp. And there was a guy that was at both for some reason.
1: <laughs> I, thought that I was- mean, as fun as explosives camp sounds.
0: It sounds like I went to the wrong college. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the only only school with an explosives degree in South Dakota, but I ended up. Holy, no I should have up. looked
0: into that school if I knew there was an actual degree in explosives there. I just <laughs> I was lame and went to USD and got a degree in history. Holy shit! Yeah,
2: yeah either you are making history or you are studying it, right?
0: <laughs> to be fair, I, I don't think I I probably could have made their minimum requirements for math and whatnot. I am not that that great at that. So
2: okay, so I am not the token Indian, but Jack asked me to come on. Uh, just to, for a more perspective on on natives and film that's kind of my thing. my degree is in computer game design from Dakota State University and one of my specialties was the representation of Native Americans in uh, popular media and what that looks like so I make I made video games and that was my idea was to you know bring native themes into games uh, by natives for natives whereas a lot of films right are, by white people for white people, and they use Indians as set dressing, and that's one of the things I want to get into with this film.
0: Mm. Well, I'm I'm very excited about it because even me, being the uh, the pasty white guy, I was like, "Holy shit, is this uh, this is a great?"
2: Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of history in general, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's people, fair. People seem to find the best ways to treat each other like shit. So, oh, they yeah. <laughs>
0: so jackson as this was uh, your movie selection for the week uh let's and i'm sorry let, about
1: that <laughs> let's,
0: let's start off with your uh general impression of it to begin with
1: it was a movie and i think i think i've used that intro before but that that opening fight scene was rough i'm not gonna lie like the the one the part that got me And for our listeners who don't know, um, there's a fight. Was it Saipan? Yeah, it's the Battle of Saipan. Yeah, the Battle of Saipan. I think
0: the opening opening battle was like the Solomon Islands, and then the rest of the movie takes place in Saipan.
1: All right, but the Battle of the Solomon Islands was the intro. And he loses all his guys? Yeah, and his guys gradually get picked off one by one. But the scene that got me was they're walking along in the midst of battle a japanese soldier just comes out of nowhere in the underbrush and cuts a dude's hand off with a katana and the dude literally just says ah my hand (laughs) like that like i was already pretty buzzed when i was watching this movie but i immediately paused it went upstairs and called john i was like john did you trick me into watching a comedy (laughs)
2: because that's.
1: You I, chose was, this my, movie. <laughs> and then I, was I like, remember you yeah, chose I, it. I, <laughs> then I remembered, oh yeah, I chose it. <laughs> but, I I added it to the list, but you chose it. Like that scene I really do feel could have been amazing with a better cinematographer. But another thing that stuck out was the camouflage they used. It they you said they did have that camouflage, correct?
0: Yeah, they did. It was uh there's a fun little unimportant tidbit about that camouflage it was very popular um obviously the pacific so they had that and they also had the uh kind of like the olive drab uniforms also yeah um and it was kind of i believe it was unit specific as to whether or not who had them or who wore it or just depended on like supply chain if you will but uh for the invasion of normandy over in france um they actually tried doing a variant of that uniform and like issuing it to troops because they're like why not let's give them camouflage and uh the issue with that was the only people in france and germany at the time who was using like woodland camouflage was the uh, waffen ss
1: <laughs> so
0: there's like a couple of days of like a ton of friendly fire incidents and then they're like all right we're ditching this shit.
2: so what was uh. the what was the standard european it was it was a one color right
0: yeah, it was, it was like the
1: uh, olive drab khaki type uniform. Yeah. Uh, what greens and pinks, right? Is that what the word the word for that? Uh,
0: it, it might have been. I don't know that particular fact, but it usually was the the dark green or kind of a tannish color. Uh, depending.
2: Like the shirt is the olive color, and then the pants are the the tan, but they're pretty like in kind of the same shade range yeah i'm looking at them now but so but there was camouflage in the pacific so that's interesting
0: yeah which i i thought that was a a fun little very detail. it did bug me a teeny bit because so you have a bunch of guys who all belong to the same unit but like there's no cohesion amongst them as to what uniform they're wearing and i know that's it's nitpicky but
1: I would have to,
0: I would have to imagine that, let's say you have, you know, all these guys who belong to the same company. I would have to imagine that they were all issued the same thing. So whether they were all wearing green or whether they were all wearing camo that I don't care which one you choose for the purpose of your story, but why, why is Nicolas Cage wearing the, the camouflage and then the... You know the co-talker is wearing the just plain Jane green. Like, oh, is is he not special enough for camouflage? Like, I thought the whole premise of this movie was how important these guys were.
2: Yeah, it's very. Yeah, I don't know if you, you want to keep going with yours, Jack. Next scene. But so going yeah, to scene or do is it like one person at a time? How do we? Oh, we there?
1: we just talk. We okay. just we just flow and whatever ideas come to us we chatted about that that was my the the crux of my point is just how awkward that whole intro battle scene was yeah it's definitely not
2: saving private ryan oh no
1: (laughs) no it
0: it was trying it definitely felt like it was trying to capture the like intensity of the opening of saving private ryan with like the -the over-the-top violence but it kind of just came off as like you almost think it's uh, like Tropic Thumb- yeah, Thunder. Yeah, that's what I say. It's more action
2: movie than war movie. I mean, that's, <laughs> Tropic That's the theme throughout the whole thing. It's it's more action movie than war movie. It almost feels like a parody. Not you know directly like Tropic Thunder, but it's close.
0: There's also there's no like real sense or rhyme or reason to that scene. Like all you know is they're in the middle of the jungle and they're basically making a last stand. But the, there's a line where one of the characters, you know, it's the the one scene where, or the the one part where that's a continuous flashback for Nicolas Cage, where it's like, "God damn you, Joe Ender's!" <laughs> uh, that like, oh
1: God, that's <laughs> immediately serious.
0: immediately preceding that that same character yells out, "We can make it. We can get out of here. There's still a chance." And I'm like, "What?" You're, you're dead <laughs> this entire this entire scene has been nothing but people just popping out of every which direction just chopping you to bits where where are you getting this idea that you can make it out of here like
1: yeah yeah it's, it's so weird so it's
2: not just the scene direction it's the writing there's oh a really, yes. you know like if the idea is supposed to be that he put them in the situation he made the mistake and everyone died because of it you know i i, I didn't really get that feeling
0: no it it like don't get me wrong i i understand the like here's a bit of onus on him that he feels because he made the decision to hold an undefendable position but i mean it it felt in the context of that scene there wasn't much to be done either way what it felt like the result of that scene would have been the same whether or not he chose to defend the spot or if he chose to run
1: and god that was just it was so ham-fisted the way he just said damn you joe enders
0: what about the the like the one part so they have like the the two tree trunks that are laying down side by side and it's like this tree trunk is dangerous but the other one is safe if you make it to this tree trunk you're going to make it
1: i don't remember that part
0: it was uh when there was still like three or four guys alive uh and like one dude went to run from one tree trunk that was down on its side to another,
2: right right, right. and he
0: just gets cut down by a machine gun
2: (sighs) Uh. yeah if you're not safe behind that one you're probably not safe behind the other one (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty crazy i guess i just get into this here it's it's pretty crazy you know to think of uh cage you're gonna do the white savior and you use nicholas cage as your white Savior. i i couldn't get over that part like cage as kevin costner it just he does not have the same you know like and, and using him as a hero is just kind of weird because it he just doesn't come like an anti-hero even in this one but still i was gonna ask did you guys do the research were those orders real the you know kill them we don't want the coat we don't want them being captured is that something that has basis in reality <laughs>
0: Um, so I've only read about or researched the Code Talkers just a little bit. Um, you know, there's just so much to World War II that, you know, you could, you could choose any given particular topic, even within that subject and never fully understand it. I, I don't doubt that they probably had some sort of order like that. Um, but it's not
2: uh, something you found in writing. it's it's not something i've
0: it's it's not something i've come across as of yet but i also haven't looked really hard for it but it it doesn't it doesn't strike me as unreasonable it sounds
2: uh, like something they would do yeah
0: yeah it 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 definitely seems like something that would be a a thing because you know there's there's plenty of other times in military history where you're like You know, we're going to sink the ship or whatever, so it doesn't fall into enemy hands, or we're going to blow up this particular facility so they don't get X, Y, or Z. So the idea, no matter how
2: many men are on board, etc. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah, because you know it's the the cost benefit analysis of what you're trying to protect.
1: Mm -hmm. But um, or you were going to say something
0: yeah so kind of moving on so we go from that to immediately uh you know we immediately get to the the scene of like the the navajo reservation and we get introduced to our uh our our native american characters in this film and i will say the thing that kind of uh was different for me in this film was uh you know a lot of films have the stereotypical kind of boot camp scene where it's like they're doing push-ups they're in the obstacle course and all you know all that stuff and shooting guns. And for this, we get like a two minute montage of them learning their own language. And I I get in the context of the scenes, it's okay. These are the words in your language that we are assigning to these particular targets, but it came off a little, uh, it, I don't know. It came off a little gross to me because it seemed like we are teaching you your language as a code and it's, it's like you don't need to teach the people who know their own language how to speak their language
2: but you you do need to teach them what word means what in the code so that's that's something that started in World War 1 right where these are not they're not just talking the language over the radio they're they're they are talking in code and so that's like the scene where he says you know they caught a guy he was a navajo but he wasn't a code talker so he didn't know the code because mm. it it's like certain because that wasn't his job well each each word in the language corresponds to a letter in the code okay and then you're you still have to decode it from there and i think it did change so when what i've researched of the navajo code talkers right it it changed on a regular basis so the idea that they'd have to memorize uh right it it wasn't written down anywhere in a code book they had to memorize what what words in the language corresponded to what letters in english oh okay or what see like yeah that, that makes didn't get sense. that across yeah
0: um yeah because in this film it definitely makes it seem as though the language itself is the code um which yeah. to be fair if i if i am not misunderstanding this navajo isn't a language you can really learn it's it's a language you kind of have to grow up with isn't it
2: well i'd say that any language the amount of time you put into it Um, right? So, they say native languages are probably a couple thousand more hours to learn than, like, learning a romance language from English, but they're still learnable. The only thing is that this time that there was no, you know, documentation that was readily available to the Japanese, you know, so they weren't going to be able to get their hands on a Navajo dictionary in 1940.
0: So So, for them, getting an actual code talker was necessary because... That was the only way they were going to get a, a a way to actually translate the language itself.
2: Yeah, but it's no different than like with the Enigma code for the Germans. You you would still need someone who knew what they were doing with the code in order to break the code mm-hmm. or a code book, which is you know what the British got. All right, and but um, it... yeah, go ahead, Carl. The uh, the language as a code was actually in world war one and i think it was comanche um i I do
0: remember that that the the original experiment or the the original try at this was either comanche or cherokee that they use
2: and so that i hear i remember learning that the the first code in world war one they were you know making it up as they went because there it was just a commander a field commander that saw these two guys talking to each other In their own language and said hey can you get on the radio and that was you know you know they were only in world war one for like a year so that was pretty quick but by the time they got to world war ii it was a plan that that was you know here we're going to recruit from these reservations in order to do this and it's going to be a code whereas like in world war one they were coming up with it on the battlefield and so the guy talks about we didn't have a word for machine gun so it was just um you know gun fast and then it was like little gun fast was submachine gun and big gun <laughs> was you know an actual emplacement and, and they were they were coming up with ways to express these things in their language because the words didn't exist right and that's mm-hmm. something that's funny in uh in lakota usually what would happen like if there was a big english com concept um before there were words in the language for like automobile and plane and all these things You'd just be speaking Lakota, and this is, my dad remembers his grandma on the phone is like this, where you know you she'd be talking one hundred miles an hour in Lakota, and then he'd hear the word airplane, or he'd hear the word you know Chicago. Like there's a a saying, "Watch day Chicago," and it just meant you know, good Chicago. Yeah, you're going you're going to Chicago, or like you know when people would be relocating, and Mm. there weren't you know words for everything, Um, and so that's with World War Two they get into it as a code each word corresponds to a letter in English and then I, there might even be another step where the letter in English is then in some sort of cipher before it becomes something readable all right um, and in- so yeah that that didn't get across in the movie but that that was that one scene where he's like you know they they caught a Navajo but he wasn't a code talker so still it wasn't any good to him to them they tortured him for nothing and uh-huh. the
1: instructor dude even says at one point, like, "Yes, this is your language, but a code is still a code."
2: Yeah. <clears throat> I feel like so that maybe was...
0: they could have uh, gotten that that concept across a little better, or maybe presented spent it in a bit more time way. on it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But again, it it's more of an action movie than a. Oh yeah. Movie. <laughs> that's that's well, like I mean, why right, that's, they're here, right? That's the other. It's weird that I... they they use this this concept, the Code Talkers, as the premise. But we're spending, you know, a lot of the scenes are just generic fight scenes.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's the the thing I kind of wanted to get into is, you know, this film came out in, what, 2002, Two, 2003? Yeah. Um, you know, so we're talking about a film that was released as a summer blockbuster immediately after 9-11. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely interesting to you know obviously nine eleven changed a lot of things in in our day-to-day life and just society in general but you know we'll see this um you know when i when i bring up my movie choice for next week it kind of goes to the opposite end of the spectrum for this but you know we're you know this film definitely gives off the like america fuck yeah like yeah we are going to showcase our heroes and like the fighting strength of united states military and how awesome we are and the best way to do that is to go to you know the you know air quotes like the golden war of world war ii which is you know a genuine conflict where you know it's probably one of the the last like true good versus evil type conflicts that The us has been involved in
2: or they've been very very good at pushing that narrative right i mean where they can make that argument correct
0: i mean everybody did terrible things during world war ii but it's hard to argue with you know saying that a war against nazi germany was unjustified when you see the you know the concentration camps
2: Mm -hmm. Um, but then you could say the same thing with us with japanese in concentration camps right no but it's the same thing but but uh japan like you said everybody did something bad but but like the japanese empire at the time was you know compared to america even pretty crazy as far as racism and everything goes right so it well yeah,
0: yeah the the big part of japan starting their kind of you know asia conquest tour was you know they wanted to get in on the uh colonialism imperialism train you know they actually had a this concept or this idea that they came up with called the east asia co-prosperity sphere which i know is a mouthful but uh, essentially it was we are going to unite all the asian countries together with japan being at the head and basically japanese people being the uh what's the word I'm looking for the
2: Japanese master race basically. Yeah. C-
0: kind of the, uh...
2: because I mean, they, they weren't treating the, the Chinese or anyone else. They conquered all that well either. Ooh, no, 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 <laughs> just because v- they were Asian didn't mean that they were. Yeah.
0: There was, there was still a racial hierarchy.
2: Yeah. Or a nationalist hierarchy in that sense. But, uh,
0: so kind of moving on.
2: But what like you were talking earlier is it's right after 911 is there army involvement in the film like as a recruiting tool?
0: Uh I don't know about that. I I can't imagine they're not being. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it was just the, the the product of the time where it's anything that's <clears throat> pro America is going to make the big bucks.
2: And this so. is not a war is bad film. This is a America no, fuck yeah film. America yeah, fuck
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is America fuck yeah. Look at all these brave, you know, soldiers
2: mm-hmm.
0: immediately post 9/11. So it's uh it's easy to reason how they kind of came to a lot of the decisions that they did in this film. But <laughs> I think that might have been to a a detriment because you know, it's like we said before a lot of this kind of comes off Cartoonish or uh over the top.
2: Yeah, I think there's a scene. You know, so the first scene where he and Ben are, you know, fighting, and what does he get a, a medal of honor for all the the Japanese he killed, and it, and he's killing like twenty or thirty people without ever taking a shot or a wound at all. And it's just you know, it, sure, yeah, things it's... like that might have happened, but it, it's just the way it's presented makes it feel so unrealistic
0: right the the thing that kind of uh frustrates me about this film is the fact that i don't know if you guys had ever heard of the battle of saipan before or are familiar with it at all but the, the the battle of saipan is not really covered all that much in film um you know Hollywood loves to focus on battles like Iwo Jima and uh Okinawa. Uh Tarawa is another real big one that they like to focus on. Um but Saipan is is actually kind of a major turning point in the war in the Pacific. Um you know, it occurs in the I think about a week after the Normandy invasion. And in fact, it's it's referred to
2: and it was it was a major turning point. Yeah, it course, was huge. So they lost
0: they lost aircraft carriers. They lost twenty nine thousand troops to defend this island. It was it was a big big deal. And the thing is is that because of when it occurred, the the invasion of Normandy oftentimes overshadows it. Um, and I think it's it's kind of an unfair thing for this battle
2: literally yeah. like the same week june fifteenth, 1944 that's crazy that we were able to project that much power in both spheres yeah
0: it's time. a it's a huge battle this is also this battle is where we we see the change in kind of doctrine of how they're fighting so that's kind of you know there's a there's a lot to have beef with this movie but uh i know we're jumping like way into the future of the film but, you know, the scene where they're in the the town kind of resting and, you know, Joe Enders and Ben Yazi have their little chat about their Catholic school upbringings. And you see the flamethrower guy giving a chocolate bar to a, you know, a Japanese girl. Um, and in the middle of it, you see this giant just ambush attack occur out of nowhere. Um by this point, the Japanese had changed up their tactics. Where, you know, during the daytime they were operating mostly defensively, um, and then they would be launching counteroffensives or launching attacks during the nighttime because they understood the power of.
2: Well, they were outnumbered yeah. four to one, right? So there's a hundred, there's one hundred and fifty thousand American troops and thirty thousand Japanese you know they have the defender's advantage probably three to one is what the Americans were thinking but they even brought four to one just to make sure that there was no yeah by this
0: by this this point in the war they've already you know they are well aware that the Japanese are going to fight tooth and nail for every square inch I mean before this we have the Battle of Tarawa where I think they were expecting it to be like a two or three day battle and it turned into like a month and just massive casualties and it was Mm -hmm. for an extremely small territory it was only like a couple of square miles that they were trying to seize um
2: so not big enough for I think it was I think like this I think Tarawa
0: was literally big enough enough. for a airfield like the island of Tarawa was an airfield that's it um but yeah they like by the time they're invading Saipan they totally expect and knew they're like we're going to take heavy losses on every square inch that we take and that was that was just the reality of the Pacific War so that that was one thing I, I just yeah. when I see like don't get me wrong it was a great battle scene but it's also one of those scenes where like this probably wouldn't or didn't happen because the Jack
2: no, pitch yeah, no battle pitched
0: battles in daylight because it wasn't going to work for them
1: yeah, they, they knew not to go toe-to-toe with Americans in broad daylight in an open field.
2: So the ambushes at night, and then during the day, if the Americans walk towards us, we fill them with machine gun fire. Because, I mean, pretty much the whole island is, is trenches in a oh, mountain, yeah. right? Yeah. Tunnels and all that. They, they this did is a also, lot of digging.
0: This is all also where we start seeing a lot of the uh, the cave warfare
1: pop up.
2: Mm-hmm. And I was surprised we didn't get more of that. Yeah, would have been
1: a really tense scene. There was a lot
0: of open field battles. What did yeah? What did you guys think about? Um. It almost felt like like yes, the Japanese were the enemy in this, but it felt as though the actual enemy in this film was artillery. It felt like every major battle scene. Always came down to we gotta take out those guns.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean that's what it is, right? Yeah, but I, I, I would have liked more machine guns. Yeah. Because yeah, like artillery. I don't know. At this point, right, you gotta think that offshore is the Iowa class battleships with sixteen inch guns, and they've already peppered this island full of holes. And I don't see <laughs> any huge holes. I'm like, any any fixed artillery that was not in a cave yeah. is probably gone by the time the troops make landfall.
0: I don't know. <laughs> so what did you guys, I know it was discussed kind of a bit for our first scene, but what did you guys, I, I felt as though this movie was very gratuitous with uh, the violence. Like, just very over the top, just people flailing all around uh people being like blown up into the air like what was your guys thought on that
1: the the scenes where people get blown up into the air that just seemed it it didn't feel like they were being blown it feels like there was an explosion pyrotechnic and the actors jumped right
2: interesting especially surviving yeah (laughs) because some of them do survive oh man you get, you get hit, hit with a shell like right. that. You you're dead. Exist. There isn't any no, there's actually a,
1: a YouTube yeah. video out
0: right now by a channel called uh, Grand Thumb. And he's a dude who used to be uh, Air Force Special Operations. And all he does is like gun uh, videos now. But he recently came out with a video where he went down to this place down in Texas that you can pay to shoot like guns from tanks and artillery pieces and stuff like that. And so he brought out a bunch of ballistic gelatin dummies and uh, essentially shot them from like 20 feet away with these giant artillery pieces. And he did it in slow-mo. And like you can see how they just disintegrate into nothingness as the the shells impact.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Artillery shells are no joke, that's for
1: sure. Um, I wanted to bring this up but building up yeah building up earlier um nicholas cage was meant to be the white savior of this movie but i don't recall him ever having any major character development he 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 was kind of a dick the entire time so
2: yeah there's there's one scene after he gets the medal where he says you know i couldn't have done this without ben yazi and you know, he's not just some Indian, he's of this clan and everything. But I, I didn't really see the scene right. where
1: he yeah. sets that up. There that one scene where he Ben takes a bath in the early morning and that one racist dude was ob- Was he was he was fucking with him, like, oh I which racist was a dude? Joke. Let's be more specific here. Shut up.
2: <laughs> the, the one that, that's actually beating the shit out of him. But then Cage is standing there doing nothing until the yeah, other and guys come. And it's somebody else who actually tries and to break like it. Like you first. think
1: he's about to have some moment in the sun where like, oh, I've been redeemed. No, he just like kind of stops the fight and then he turns to Ben. You do look like a Japanese. <laughs> wow.
2: And the guy who was attacking him his excuse to them is that which, i which thought is... he was japanese and that felt really right off because if you thought he was japanese right everybody knows it's bullshit. because if you thought right, he was, yeah, yeah like and the other just part too to is this,
0: like this dude has been in your company for like at least six months like come on
2: he's wearing an american God. uniform
0: <laughs> you've literally been giving him shit every single day since he's arrived like don't don't give us that
2: But yeah, my my biggest takeaway from that scene was that Cage's character, he's still, you know, not doing anything. He's like, oh yeah, this is, this is okay. This is totally fine until somebody else comes in and tries to break (laughs) it up. What
0: I find interesting about Cage's character, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie, uh, Sands of Iwo Jima starring John Wayne. I have not. So it's on the list and we'll, I'm sure we'll definitely cover it at some point in the near future, but, uh so in that movie john wayne plays the grizzled ptsd sergeant very much like joe enders and uh there's no code talker in his movie uh there's just a a guy who's below him is like a private or corporal or whatever that he has this you know intense beef with you know lots of tension and whatnot and at the end of the film john wayne ends up dying and because of the relationship he has with this individual um, you know, the guy who lives ends up kind of like fulfilling his role, taking, taking up, you know, taking a place in his shoes, if you will, like under his tutelage. And I felt like this movie almost copy and pasted that storyline from Sands of Iwo Jima into here where it's like, you have Nicolas Cage being a dick to Ben Yossi the entire film. And at the end of the film, Ben Yossi is this great warrior. Cause you know, that's the, the recurring theme here is that. Ben Yazzie fucks up or he freezes and Nick Cage has to come save him and then the final scene is Nick Cage dies but Ben Yazi finally learns to be you know the marine he was meant to be and I was like come, come on guys like you got writers on <laughs> staff you, you don't need to copy and paste a storyline
2: yeah it, it's there's only so much you can do with a film like that though like that's, I think. Yet there were so many t- places they could have gone with this movie, but um, that's that's the storyline they decided on, right? We're gonna have a couple of set piece battles, and uh, and that's gonna be it. And then at the end, you know, they're gonna go back to the reservation, and the nice music's gonna play, and he's gonna tell his kid that Joe Ender's was the best. Not all white men are you know, bad. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's so it's it it is um what would you call it, it really cheap is. writing really like you can said, we
0: can we also take a yeah. minute to acknowledge the uh the cheap uh music score here i feel like music yeah. can really make or break a movie um you know it's huge in getting us to feel certain ways during certain scenes but how patronizing was this fucking film like Oh, every time that there's anything remotely Native American going on, we got to have the the flute play in the background. Like, really? Yeah. It,
2: and it's it's not even just Ben's motif, right? It's just all nativeness is encompassed by this one motif. And then I don't even know does Ender's, Enders have much of a theme? Like, there's not a lot of building light motifs or anything his, complex. His motif is
0: like, a screaming while shooting people.
2: <laughs> yeah. So does is there even there's not even music in some of those things. I
0: mean, there's definitely kind of over the top like uh just regular action Don't movie know. like like trumpets blaring type deal. But though the 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 one uh Nick Cage moment that really stuck out to me was uh during the first big battle scene for saipan uh you know they're making their moves and uh he comes up across this spider hole where there's one japanese soldier like just barely peeking his rifle out of it shooting and he kicks the hatch off of this hole and just unloads an entire like magazine of thompson thompson ammo into him i was like jesus i get he's ptsd but that just seems like not a smart decision right here like you could have done this with a couple just a couple of bullets but that's where you see the the wildness in his eyes if you will
2: i think that's my biggest criticism it doesn't really seem Mm -hmm. to know what it wants as a movie you know and the native stuff just it, it does feel a lot like set dressing, um, when the main focus seems to be you know Nick Cage action hero. It doesn't really do anything for me emotionally. Like the the story doesn't seem to fit. Right. For, you know, some reason.
1: Yeah the, <clears throat> the the code talkers I think we're all in agreement they de- they deserved a much much better movie to tell their story. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's the only thing you get out of it is that people that didn't know Code Talkers were a thing learn that Code Talkers are a thing as far as, like, Native. But, yeah, it seems like so if you're going to make a movie about it, make it about them. And that's, that's what I've, I've always said is if you're going to do a Native story, it, it needs to be, you know, directed by Native people or, you know, have a, a mm-hmm. huge amount of involvement. And this is just another one, you know, made by white people for white people. White Savior is the big thing. Like it it's so much just dances of to but on Saipan. <laughs> and I guess the, the opposite is right, in instead of being in a native village, they're on Saipan. But <laughs> it's it's white man white man learns that native people are actual human. Character <laughs> right.
1: development. Yeah. You know, but like but especially even that
2: doesn't really It's, it's even especially even like hit the the
0: scene with uh, you know the The guy named chick who's the like the super racist in the group, you know, it's like, you know, he's the one that originally says Ben looks like a Jap and all that stuff. Um, And then you get a a point later in the film where he's like. Can you imagine fit like. If you asked my dad about the natives, he would have told you that they were nothing but savages, da, 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 da and now we're fine with them. Can you imagine us sitting down, having a drink with the Japs in 50 years and Nicholas Cage is like, shut the fuck up.
2: <laughs> yeah, really, really funny thing to say when, you know, natives have been part of the United States military since before the United Yeah, States. I mean. So. Pretty- it's definitely an idea that a racist would have Right, no, I mean,
0: different tribes throughout different time periods have played some role in military affairs for the United States pretty much constantly. It's just whatever the current political stance of the groups were dictated who was participating.
2: Yeah. Like the American Revolution split up the Haudenosaunee, the, the six big Iroquois tribes. Some of them chose the American, some of them chose the British. Uh, you know, the Delaware h- had a treaty during the war with Washington that uh, if the Americans won the war, the Delaware could have their own state. They got one named after them, but the idea was that they would actually be able to have the same power as any other what? state. Uh, so it's it's a lot what? of funny What, getting one
0: named to... after them isn't enough? Come on,
2: guys. But, uh... Yeah. But, uh, you yeah, know, my, my personal connection there is um, I was telling Jack this, that, um, you know, my uh you know have have relatives that died at uh at wounded knee and and little bighorn and uh their grandkids were fighting in world war one and world war two um and the funniest story i have of this is my third great grandma um her name was molly and she was born in 1850 and died in Ah. 1952 she's 25 years old at little bighorn her grandfather died there and her great grandson would see a nuke go off. really Bikini Atoll. Yeah, he was stationed on the Prince Eugen, a German cruiser that they were using for target practice. Um, And so, you know, he came home with these stories of all the stuff the Navy was doing and all this crazy shit. And this is the same US Army that we beat with bow and arrow and, and, you know, they were using single shot rifles in 1876 and by 1945 they had a nuclear weapon. you know not even 80 years
1: <laughs> wow and how i'm sorry how old were they when they saw the nuke go off
2: uh he was Damn. 19. and and his grandma uh was uh, probably about about 100 by that point by the time he gets home right in 50 um she's she's 100 years old and and she's you know at the battle where custer just killed probably saw his dead body she said that's one of her quotes my my auntie says i seen custer killed and then to have a great grandson that saw a new that up, is just nuts
0: that just blew my mind man that is an interesting uh kind of cross section of history that the most i can yeah. i can lay claim to at least for this particular episode is uh i had a great uncle who fought at saipan so <laughs>
2: take that <laughs> yeah. now, your stories are way cool yeah my uh my mom's yeah, I would say, so most of my connections to the Pacific are on my, my mom's side, my white side, um, I guess. And then my, my grandma, my white grandma, had, had a brother who died at Corregidor. And uh, my mom's brother's dad, so um, she's from my grandma's third husband, her second husband was in the pacific and there's a story about him landing a bulldozer so that that little tiny uh airfield you were talking what's it, the island before saipan Tarawa. yeah they they uh you know they parachuted these caterpillars onto the island and there's and he's trying to make this airfield um and he's an engineer so he's driving his caterpillar and he drives it too hard and his lieutenant is mad at him for pushing his cat too hard to get the uh to get the airfield built. So he demotes him. And they said when they were retreating from the island, the Japanese take it back. And I don't know which island this is, that the lieutenant gets killed. And they weren't sure if it was friendly fire or the Japanese. But anyway, he gets he gets demoted by this guy, and it sticks, right? Even after they leave the island, he, he ends up being uh, a private for the rest of the war. So he gets uh, demoted from like E5 all the way down to private. Ooh. So that was nuts. But anyway he uh that's my my grandma's second husband and he ended up um coming home from the war just broken and ended up killing us so that's, that's
0: that's that's very that's okay unfortunate that, but you know not
2: yeah but you know, not, world war ii is just uh a yeah, lot of tragedy that's for war,
0: sure unfortunately is a, a generator of a lot of mental health issues my uh oh, yeah. so my great uncle who fought in the battle of saipan he actually he wasn't in the marine corps he fought uh in the army i believe it was the 27th division that was there which
2: so how'd that go the marines land first and then the it <laughs> yeah, comes later
0: I, I believe so considering the marines are the, the purpose trained amphibious assault troops um but th- that's kind of one of the things that often is underplayed or not really mentioned is the army's involvement in the pacific war it's usually always you know the image of the the marine corps raising the flag on iwo jima and what have you but um the army played a pretty significant role in uh, helping take saipan okinawa the philippines um, My uncle in particular, he uh, he, the only reason I knew he was there um, was I received, like, I had my great aunt, she passed years and years ago. And uh, to make a long story short, somebody pilfered items that were supposed to have been given to me. And then they somehow magically ended up in my possession later on uh, by the, the graciousness of family members who were trying to right the wrong, if you will but uh so i was going through this binder and it's literally every like family history document that my family could possibly have and it it goes all the way back to the american revolution uh with like discharge papers from the continental army for one of my ancestors but um the only thing in that binder that references uh my great uncle being at saipan is there's a newspaper clipping from the hometown paper saying you know so and so wounded battle saipan this day received purple heart for machine gun wound, and i'm like can i have more of a story here than this like what (laughs) and you know he he died you know well over a decade ago so and he never talked about it so there's there's nobody to you know to pass on the story here so all all
2: but you did actually meet him mm-hmm. that's pretty cool like he yeah, was, alive I, you was alive when you were little but um but yeah, yeah that
0: that's the it's it's amazing but to think how many stories there are out there that get lost or aren't told because um, i i can only imagine what his experience was like on this island just from this one paragraph newspaper clipping um so yeah. that kind of brings me to the, I wanted to bring this question up a little earlier, but, you know, we talked about the fact that, uh, the Navajo and, uh, the wind talkers themselves, um, are pretty much unanimous in the fact that, you know, they either want or they deserve a better film than this. Do you think just in your studies of native culture or native Americans in popular culture, do you think it's it's better that this film exists as it is and leaves the door open for a better one to be made? Or do you think it would have been better that they never did as poor of a job they did with this film and, you know, we have a lesser-known story that might be picked up later on?
2: Yeah, I, I, I would probably go for the I I really do believe this, that if you're going to make a film about Native people, it needs to be made by native people, and so like even just being made by a big studio, like it is. It is cool that the story gets told, but at a certain point, you know, it the the harmful effects are are greater than the positive effects, in my opinion. And that this film definitely kind of um, you know it, it fits that story for me. There are some there are some pieces of fiction that even though they're appropriative, I still like. Um, And this does not fit in that category. So,
0: what do you think, Jack?
1: This, who this, yeah, they there needs to be a better Code Talkers movie written and directed and starring Native people. But I was going to bring this up earlier, but my story from my family in this theater of war my great uncle was in the navy i believe and this was still early on in the war and they're being strafed by a zero and he either was running out of fuel or running out of ammo but all of a sudden he flips his plane around and goes at them full speed he misses but they had their orders to fish him out and you know check his body in case there's any plans on it and my grandma's the one that told me the story, God rest her soul. And this was her brother. And they pull him out. And, you know, the crew's making jokes like, ha ha, stupid Jap missed us. And they fish him out and they search his corpse. And they don't find any plans, obviously, because he's not stupid enough to have them on him when he's on a in a plane. But instead, they find a bunch of pictures of a young Japanese woman with a newborn baby. And my grandma looked me dead in the eye and said, "You better believe the ship got quiet after that."
0: Well, I feel like any kind of humanizing moment like that is uh, is hard to process, even if you like vehemently hate your your enemy. And there's a couple there's a couple of films that kind of plays on that particular motif that I think is is done very well.
2: Yeah. And so
0: on that note, that super happy note, what are you drinking tonight, Jack? Bud Light. You take it you took a step down the the last step so I don't even remember what you drank last episode. But. Miller High Life. Oh yeah. So you took a step down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's you what gotta, I had. show sh- sh- uh, tell the people what you're drinking, then Mr. Fancy Pants. I am
0: drinking soup. I don't even know how to fuck to pronounce this. Sui, Suige, or Suiji Saki. It's obviously a rice wine from Japan, but underneath the Japanese word is the English translation, which uh, says "drunken whale." It's yeah. It has a it has a little
2: picture. white <laughs> no, guy in front of the Indian for not having fans. <laughs> <laughs> that, Some
1: things way. never change, huh, Carl? What? No, what, what, what do i have to
0: venmo you so you can have like
1: better alcohol well i'm not gonna argue i'm not you gonna don't bring argue. it up
2: you don't bring it up
1: what do you want me to say no
2: yeah give it give him his money if you if you want to bring sake then everybody's gonna be able to drink sake but i'm
1: um, not saying he had to
0: drink that but come on like let, let's step it up from from bud light uh, you know more, maybe more on that we, We could have attempted, you know, our our running gag on this show is being sponsored by people who aren't actually sponsoring us. Did you notice the, the kind of out of place ad placement in this movie where, Oh my God, I've, I forgot about the, we'll get to the love story here in a second, but Nick Nicholas Cage is at the bar with his nurse lady friend and she orders two shots of Bacardi. And it's one of those scenes where you're like, who orders two shots of straight Bacardi? Like, Someone like you, paid by Bacardi. yeah, you got paid. Like, Bacardi paid the studio a lot of money to have this ad placement. And I had to Google it because I was like, Was Bacardi even a company then? And yeah, they've been around since the 1840s. So, uh, Bacardi, if you want to sponsor the show so Jack can stop drinking Bud Light, <laughs>
1: hit, hit us up. And building on top of that, what was her purpose in this movie aside from cheating? on the test to get him back to the front lines
0: it was it was definitely supposed to be like a shoehorned love story but it's very one-sided it's oh very you know i don't i can kind of get the i'm in love with the bad boy i'm or i've developed feelings for this person that i've taken care of thing but it's a hundred percent one-sided non-reciprocal and we see that with the recurring um scenes where she's narrating her letters to him and i'm it's one of those things where it's had this love story never existed in this movie we never would have missed it
1: honestly like we could have
0: we could have gone from intro scene directly to him like leaving the hospital and we wouldn't have never questioned it
1: yeah and like she get she also like gave him those painkillers that were for his deafened ear that never played a part in the plot again after it was first introduced and he passed the test and well, the, oh okay there's okay, there okay, there the like one... one line there was like one line where ben's like oh you don't listen very well do you well, obviously well, not
0: there was the other scene where um remember when uh ben yazi was like you're right i do look like a chap and then they dress him up in a dead Japanese soldiers uniform and like sneak sneak in because his radio broken. And so that that made me mad because I was like, there is no way you are the only person out of the two hundred some guys here that has a radio. Like there's no reason for this this shenanigan.
1: Uh, yeah, and that that's that's uh, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> like <laughs> A part of me says like, what Japanese person would look at a Navajo and think he's a fellow Japanese? but there I actually do have this tab open of this one Navajo dude that was in the war that was captured at the Baton. yeah, the surrender of Bataan. and they thought he was Japanese, so they tortured him. And then they f- figured out he was Navajo, so they tortured him tortured him even harder to get the code out of him and it it is true that he did know a couple words of navajo but he played stupid for 4 years it's a it's a long time to put up with that also it gets even worse because he was you think that's bad yeah you think that's bad like after they got boor- either bored or annoyed with him they shipped him back to the mainland to the safety of a city called hiroshima please tell me and he at least made it through that yeah this the bomb dropped and the concrete of his cell saved him from the blast, but he was still burned in like radiation sickness and he just lived for three days before being rescued so he's
2: yeah
1: he's in the running for like one of the shittiest experiences of the war man
0: so what do we what do we think about uh the actor Adam beach being our our main native actor. I know it definitely feels as though in Hollywood, they have like three or four kind of go to actors to reprise any and all native roles. Um, and I was trying to look it up, but my research skills weren't doing me that much good, but I find it hard to believe that they couldn't find and maybe the, the other native American actor, that's one of the leads in this was uh Navajo but you know Adam Beach I forget what tribe he is from but he's from one of the groups up in Canada um and I was looking it up and the Navajo population is like 300,000 some people and I find it hard to believe that we couldn't find a single Navajo actor to take up this particular role so and don't get me wrong, I think Adam Beach is a fine actor, is just, you know, going back to your, your statement of, you know, native-based films should be produced by natives. How granular do you think we should get with that where, you know, members of particular groups or tribes reprise the roles that are being portrayed in the film? Or um, is it, if you're a, a First Nation, individual, is that good enough?
2: Again, I, I don't even think the film probably should have been made in the in the way it was. Um, and I, I think you're right there. You have lazy writing. You also have lazy casting. They definitely could have found a Navajo to, to play this role. And um, that you see that a lot. The Canadians, First Nations, um, there's a lot of push into the film industry. Like There's a lot of support and so um, i'd say they're a little bit overrepresented in roles of uh navajos lakotas it 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 gets pretty funny um and i guess it's better than casting a non-native person like you see in yellowstone like they're still doing this today see i've never seen yellowstone so i (laughs) i refuse to watch it Yeah. yeah that that's my reason for refusing to watch it they they didn't even bother to cast people that were in the general you know that were even native at all let alone uh, the tribe that they're trying to portray that's the you know the cop out now is that the tribe um, isn't isn't no isn't said but in this one where they're specifically trying to honor you know a group of people that were there because they were Navajo because of their language um I think it makes a lot of sense that they would have done that if they're if they're even gonna make this movie because I still you know if they were putting that much thought into the casting, I think they would have probably put more thought into the writing and the you know the story too, because that's the it's, thing this really isn't a Navajo. It's, movie. it's an across it's the board movie.
0: failure. Because the idea that they would try harder yeah, in one respect it, would have it, meant that they would have tried harder in other areas.
2: Yeah, it, it's they did not spend very much thought on this movie. So
1: about this time in the podcast, is it getting to Rotten Tomatoes time D P
0: yeah, I think this would be a, a good Rotten Tomatoes time, and I'm
1: I'm keeping my fingers crossed that <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes was not friendly to this film. So, Carl, to fill you in, around this time in the podcast, we like to go to Rotten Tomatoes to see what this movie is rated, and then we talk about whether we agree or disagree with it. So, this week on uh, uh, for Wind Talkers, we have a 33% from the critics and a 50% audience rating.
2: I'm going to go with the 33. Yeah. That's about fair. I would almost go lower. It has a decent production value. I would go lower, but I would say that it, it has a decent production value. The yeah. explosives are okay. I'll give the explosives alone a 33.
1: I agree. This was not a good one, and I almost want to apologize for picking this, but it I'm glad you were on I'm glad you were a guest on this this week to give us more perspective and to tell us more about your side of the family.
2: Yeah. Was your uh, uncle that was in the Navy? Uh, Great
1: uncle. And No, I don't believe so. No, he wasn't. From South Dakota? Buddy. uh, No, it was my uncle, Ben, young, that came back. Actually, I think he was part Lakota, the um, great uncle. And he survived and later came back and got his degree in chemical engineering or bioengineering.
2: Yeah, that's cool. So that's something that you don't talk about very much uh, and they didn't show in this film, but that was something like natives coming back and getting the the GI Bill was one of the first, you know, social mobility things for native people. Yeah, my grandpa... um, served right at the end of the war so he didn't see combat but um, he was um, transporting German prisoners of war in 44 45 he actually stayed in the reserve till 51 but he came back and he got a degree and he never came back to the reservation uh, but he ended up si- serving as a, a superintendent in the, the BIA and ultimately in, in DC as the, the chief of uh, tribal relations Dang. for the BIA so he, he got a, in a degree and, and got into the BIA and now it's, you know, three generations of my family that federal service because, because of his war experience. So that was pretty interesting wow. to me. I don't I think, think anybody in my family had a job outside of, you know, hunting, uh, or, or farming that before is incredible. that, so the war, you know, did, did make a huge change for native communities. And
1: I think it was his brother wasn't so lucky. He was like, a Zeppelin crew member they had zeppelins do some like scouting and whatnot and the like the zeppelin he went missing on is probably like one of the very few if not only zeppelin that went missing on the u.s side during the war how you lose a zeppelin i don't know but he managed I didn't it really him. i mean in the pacific in yeah. the pacific yeah i think it's kind of big yeah a lot of things. stuff gets missing there
0: <laughs> um
2: I didn't know. So he for me,
0: I uh, th- my my rating for this film, Rotten Tomatoes has as a thirty three. I want to give it a twenty five. That's my own personal score for this. And you know, I, you know, it's kind of we've said it a lot. This film could have been done better in a lot of different ways, and it's patronizing in a lot of respects. Um, my my bringing it down I I agree that the the action scenes are great but it does a poor job of telling the wind talker story and it also does a poor job of explaining the importance of this particular battle it it very much just feels like placeholder any random battle in the Pacific kind of movie so yeah that's that's why I knock it
1: down I didn't even know it took place in the battle of Saipan until this podcast honestly Maybe I just missed something.
2: I think it's mentioned once at the beginning, because it's from a soldier's point oh, of view, and so that's that's what we get. You know, like yeah, that's they weren't trying to put the history or the the context, you know, the wider stuff into it. For me, that that's really what it does feel like. It's just one guy's mission to survive, and the fact that there's an Navajo there, mm. you know, it that's all it is. Is just set, set dressing to me. But that's, even that's soldiers the understand the importance. But other of... than that. The missions that go on yeah but they're not going to talk about it in the middle of a battle or anything
0: there there's a there's a place that this could have that that it could have been better
2: yeah it could (laughs) have fitted in you think because
0: we even get that like small little briefing scene and instead of learning truly learning the importance of this battle during the briefing we just see nicholas cage going into another ptsd spiral Like a literal spiral because he's looking into a fan.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely. I'd say the Imitation Game. Like, if you want to do a code and war movie, that's the kind of code. Oh, that was a fantastic movie. And it because you were looking at it from the top. I remember what you were talking about earlier. Like, you know, what what if they had orders to kill the guys and making those for the greater good decisions? And you know, those were things that were going on we let this entire, you know, ship sink to keep the code from being exposed that we can break the code? So, uh, but I don't know how you right, would have done but... that with this one. With the, with the That's code why Talkers. we're here.
0: We're here purely to bitch and not to uh, offer any solutions. So,
2: Yeah, no, but, uh... no. Uh, I would say uh, I'd like to see a, a movie, Lakota Code Dockers. They were in Europe and, and there's so many other great native war stories um that could definitely use a film and it it is sad that they they decided to do that this one's so dirty well
0: hopefully this existing will you know hollywood loves their remakes so hopefully maybe in 10 to 20 oh, no. years somebody can revisit the topic and and do it the way that it ought to be done
2: yeah so it bring the only thing that brings it up to a 25 for you is the the choreography the fights that that's yeah, like it's the, one redeeming
0: i i could sit down on a saturday night and have a couple of drinks and enjoy the fight scenes in this movie but if we're looking at it from a historical accuracy or storytelling point of view it it's terrible right Almost if I, long if long I long. just want to see Nicolas Cage rampage through the Pacific, then fine. Yeah, this is a great movie, but that's not why I wanted to watch this movie.
2: Ghost Rider on Saipan. <laughs> that might have
0: been a better mil- movie than this. He's get- <laughs> he's that gonna- might have been a better he's gonna <laughs> movie. He's
1: going to steal the Ghost <laughs> Rider three Declaration of Independence.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah yeah no cage just ruins it for me i can't take oh, absolutely. it absolutely it's
0: a shame considering uh i watched an interview with nicholas cage and like as a person he's actually kind of genuinely like a good person he's just made some really poor uh he got involved
2: well he yeah he got involved him, right that's the thing he's, he, he's an he got involved in some
0: sort of scam yeah. where he bought some stuff dinosaur bones or something like that and then it turned out it was a fraud and he had to return it and he lost all his money so now he takes any and all acting roles to make up for the money he lost on his dinosaur skeleton which is the most (laughs) asinine sentence I've ever said but but
2: so like in in 2002 was he taken more seriously as an actor? Um,
0: because he would have just been coming off of con air um that one alcatraz movie um there was a couple of smaller indie films that did fairly well with him as the lead-in um
2: but it's before yeah, Rider or national treasure uh
0: ghostwriter your national treasure i would have to say national treasure was probably it's terrible to say but national treasure was probably the uh the peak performance of his career.
1: I don't know. He was good in Into yeah. the Spider Verse.
0: He did. He did do a good <laughs> Spider Man Noir.
1: Yeah, fantastic. A plus acting for that one. And he wasn't. And he wasn't even technically on screen. It was just his voice. So maybe that's why.
2: Yeah, but as far as far as a lead character in live action, you know, yeah. But, um, you know, he, he makes a good... He has a distinctive voice. He makes a good voice actor. But I can't take him seriously in live action.
0: So, this is the uh, the part of the show where we will pick our next week's film. Um, for this one, I talked to Jack beforehand, and I, I gave him the option of either pre- or post-World War II, because that feels... World War II, thus far, is the predominant movie genre on our list. And... Uh, three out of our four shows now have been about world war ii so i wanted to
2: i'd I'd like to see a list of all war movies and what percentage are world war ii because it's got to be over 50 easily
0: we can send you the list we have and it easily beats that percentage um but jack chose pre-world war ii so let me get a pull up damn it okay so for next week we will be reviewing the 2000 war film the alamo based on the 1836 standoff between a group of texan and tejano men led by davy crockett and jim bowie and mexican dictator santa anna's forces at the alamo in san antonio texas and it stars dennis Quaid and billy bob thornton
2: which one plays with uh
0: actually dennis quaid plays sam houston and billy bob thornton plays davy crockett i don't remember who plays yeah i don't remember who plays plays Boone. Boone. but that will be next week's film um before we sign off i'll I'll cut this little section out uh carl we'll, we'll do a sign off and then i'll stop the stream and then i'll just we can chat for a couple of minutes and then part our different ways but it usually takes like a minute for everything to get uploaded after I stop a recording. So
1: to what it's very, very
0: simple. Like. It's uh we appreciate everybody for joining us. Jack, is there any last minute thoughts or concerns you want to raise?
1: Screw this movie. <laughs> Duly noted. Uh um,
2: no, yeah. One second.
0: Uh, if everybody could, if you like the show, leave us a review. The Stars Matter. Give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook. We uh, appreciate the feedback from everybody. Um, until next time, I've been John.
1: I'm Jack.
2: And I'm Carl.
0: It was a catch- pleasure
1: having you, Carl.
0: It was a pleasure. We hope to have you again. And We will uh, catch you all next time. Yeah.